Welcome to our podcast series, Five Questions, Five Answers, in which we explore recent U.S. trade policies and U.S. trade rules that can affect thousands of companies. We have a goal in mind to help you, the listener, translate the legal into real-world business strategies. My name is Bridget Matisson. I'm the Director of North American Manufacturing here at Aaron Fox Schiff in Washington, D.C. I get the easy part. I get to ask the questions and I get to choose the colleague or the guest I know will have the right answers for you. So in the next few minutes, I will ask five questions that reflect the concerns we've been hearing from business leaders, all who want to understand the rules, but they also need to mitigate their business risk while increasing their bottom line. So let's start. Good morning. Welcome to our latest episode of Five Questions and Five Answers. Many of our listeners will know that Vice President Harris had announced new funding for the electric vehicle sector and in particular electric vehicles in the urban transit environment. And that new spending and funding that will be released through the Department of Transportation has within it $17 million to fund electric zero emission and low emission school buses. Apparently, that's a favorite of Vice President Harris and probably President Biden as well. That announcement probably couldn't be even more timely because guess who we have as our guest for this podcast today? It's Steve Griffith. He's the director of the Automotive Components Council at the National Electric Manufacturers Association based here in Washington. We'll refer to it as NEMA, Steve, if you don't mind. And so welcome to our podcast. Tell us a a little bit about NEMA, but in particular, this Automotive Components Council and why was it created and when? Thanks for inviting me. NEMA represents more than 325 electrical equipment and medical imaging manufacturers that make safe, reliable, and efficient products and systems. We serve a number of different markets, buildings, lighting, utility products, industrial products, but my sector is all transportation systems related. So really, it's the infrastructure, whether it's connected or electrified transportation. There's a lot of opportunity in the sector, which kind of led to forming one of these new areas focused on automotive components. We all know the automotive market is becoming increasingly connected and electrified. This will have a very profound effect and all the components, products, and the systems that make up a vehicle. So we established the council to increase the manufacturer collaboration in this changing and expanding automotive component market, one that traditionally has been a, a closed industry. It offers an industry voice for favorable government policies and regulations, a means to develop and promote relevant standards, qualification programs, and best practices that can support a streamlined and resilient supply chain. Also. It represents a place where broad discussions can occur and issues that affect all of its stakeholders. And this is one of those discussions, right? Exactly. You know, when we first met, I think I called you, maybe you called me, but in that first conversation, you made a point that I just thought was really fascinating and I hadn't thought of it before. You had made the point that your members, the companies you represent, make or manufacture products for their customers, their manufacturers, probably the vehicle assemblers themselves. And these companies are, the assemblers are well ahead in their design plans 
for the vehicle, whether it be the bus, train, the last mile vehicle, the passenger vehicle, but they're way ahead in the vehicle of their future. And that means that your members must adapt pretty darn quickly to meet their own customers' needs. Can you share with our listeners that scenario? Because I just think the fast-paced timeline for this sector are just so critical to understand. Sure. A great question. I think talking to our members, they recognize that one of the biggest challenges facing manufacturers trying to access this rapidly expanding market has been its closed nature. Historically, the automotive manufacturers have been reluctant to set broad industry standards on components and instead set internal procurement policies and evaluation protocols. Auto component suppliers don't have access to how their components integrate into a vehicle subassembly until that design is almost complete. This makes it very challenging for those suppliers who now need to your point, have to adapt very quickly. Also, the process to get a particular component qualified into a, a vehicle is very lengthy. We think there's an opportunity to shift that dynamic with this changing market. As an example, we know that powertrains in electric vehicles are less complex than those in an internal combustion engine. As these designs begin to converge, standards could be written that provide a baseline where automakers could then outsource these subassemblies to reduce their costs. A model template for a standards qualification program that addresses major aspect in a vehicle like a motor or lighting or wire and cable can decrease that qualification time. All this opens up the market for manufacturers that specialize in making similar components that go into all the different types of automobiles, which basically are members of our council. That I find so interesting. And I can imagine that the industry and your company members are shifting and adapting to meet these new requirements. But at the end of the day, we could see companies making subassemblies or even assemblies when before they were just making the parts. And this is what we saw with the more traditional internal combustion engine sector, if I'm right. So do your members make parts and assemblies for the entire gambit of what we call now electric vehicles, e-vehicles, it just seems like every transport sector is getting in on the action, which they probably well should. But do they make them for all kinds of vehicles? Yes. Our members' applications include motors, generators, powertrains, batteries, battery management software, inverters, converters, onboard chargers, ultracapacitors and connectors, power control units, power electronics and electronic systems, all the wiring and cable, the magnet wire, the fasteners, the cable ties, the insulating materials, and the sensing and lighting technologies. These are used in all types of electric vehicles across the sector. Our meetings feature guest speakers from like automakers like, you know, Audi, GM, Kia Motors, but also companies like Rivian that are making electric vehicle delivery vans for Amazon. And you mentioned school buses, and I think that's another opportunity that we're looking at is the school buses and seeing that that's getting a lot more attention in the administration. We're kind of looking now at school buses and how does that differ and what are the main components in a school bus? So a lot of opportunities in that space. It's interesting, isn't it, that the evolution of electric vehicles is starting with the transit agencies, state, local, and even national. I'm going to Turn to my colleague, Tony Rivera. I'm sure what you just heard in the last few minutes, Tony, was something near and dear to your professional heart. I bet you have lots of things to say about what you just heard from Steve. There is a supply chain 
It is a global supply chain still, and that means moving parts and components from one trading partner to the other, eventually here into the United States. We're into, what, year two of the USMCA here in North America, Tony. So why don't we start there with the USMCA? Steve will have follow-up questions, but what are the highlights with the USMCA, in particular for members who are speaking to Steve probably every day? Hi, Bridget. Hi, Steve. Very interesting discussion on today's podcast. And thank you for having me on to elaborate further from a trade perspective. Thanks for the introduction on this, Bridget. I'll start with the USMCA and then I'll also identify a few other trade issues that are relevant, I think, to the industry and to the NEMA members. So starting with the USMCA, it's a free trade agreement between the United States, Canada, and Mexico that replaced NAFTA in, in July 2020, and it permits tariff savings for imports between North American countries. Being a new trade agreement, many of the rules are a matter of first impression and they haven't previously been seen before in other free trade agreements. Specifically, with these new rules, there is an increased focus on electric vehicles, electric components, and the supply chain really at a whole, and this makes it much more difficult than ever before to qualify for the trade agreement. There's particular reasons. Part of it is the increase to the North American content requirements, and there's also new certification requirements for labor value content and steel and aluminum content, which are applicable to the OEM customers that are making the vehicles. I would say the agreement is particularly important for the automotive industry, where the supply chain in the United States relies on this North American manufacturing to obtain the cost savings offered by the USMCA. For example, qualifying heavy trucks, and this includes electric heavy trucks for the USMCA, avoids a 25% tariff upon importing the United States. But this qualification itself requires satisfaction of these new rules, this new labor requirement and steel and aluminum certification requirement, along with strategic sourcing decisions to incorporate really sufficient North American content throughout the supply chain. So for example, the North American content requirement for heavy trucks is currently set at 60% and it's going to increase to 70% by July 2027. And these new rules also create principal and complementary part categories, which subject most of the heavy trucks materials to a higher regional value threshold that by 2027 will permanently increase to between 70 and 60 percent, respectively, depending on the type of part. Because the OEM needs this qualifying content from its suppliers to satisfy its USMCA requirements, it makes it so that the qualification of the most expensive parts, such as batteries, become a pressure point really for the qualification of electric heavy trucks, for instance. Electric passenger vehicles, Light trucks, they have similar increase in qualification thresholds through the new labor requirements and steel and aluminum requirements. But they even have stricter North American content requirements where certain inputs, including advanced batteries, must themselves qualify for the USMCA in order for the vehicle to separately qualify by itself. Here, the threshold for these vehicles is currently at 69%, but is going to increase to 75% of the net cost by July of 2023. There's also new rules for the parts of passenger vehicles and light trucks, which put your category core parts, principal parts, and complementary parts. The core parts have the highest North American content requirements, similar to the vehicle itself, where it needs to be 75%. And as alluded to earlier, certain core parts, and this includes advanced batteries, transmissions, steering systems, suspension systems, and engines, and, and the electric derivatives that kind of are making these parts into the future, these must all qualify for the USMCA in order for the OEA to qualify its electric passenger vehicles and light trucks. These requirements are very difficult to satisfy for a lot of the industry because, for instance, batteries, for these products themselves, there are limited critical minerals available in North America, and that's really what is needed for the qualification of batteries and other core parts. 
the other two automotive categories for passenger vehicles, those consist of principal parts, 70%, and complementary parts at 65% domestic content. And, and this covers really the rest of the types of parts or inputs that are going to be incorporated into a vehicle. So you'll have motors, generators, electronic brake systems, electric controls, visual signaling equipment, wire harnesses, among other electric equipment. And they must also satisfy this domestic content requirement, or they also have a tariff shift rule. So there's other flexibilities there, but that's also needed for the qualification of those parts. And that's also helpful eventually for the OEM's qualification because that originating content can be passed along further down the line. And so while these USMCA rules can be difficult to satisfy, there's also various flexibilities that if applied strategically can result in a significant competitive advantage for part supplier or for OEM over competitors in the field. And I would say this is particularly relevant because there are various other international trade issues that exist that pose a challenge to the industry and would require you know, some sort of mitigation, whether it's through the USMCA or other trade tools. For example, there are Section 301 tariffs that impose up to 25% tariffs on the majority of products from China. And this is determined based on the product's classification and the origin through a substantial transformation test. These tariffs are applied on most automotive components and their electrical inputs, as well as artificial graphite and various other critical minerals that make up batteries. There's also Section 232 tariffs, which currently impose 10% tariffs on aluminum and 25% tariffs on steel from various countries, with a few exceptions based on exclusions or quotas too. But the government has previously explored imposing these tariffs on but of parts and other inputs impacting the electric vehicle supply chain. So it's something that we're seeing really not just in the Trump administration, but in the Biden administration. That's an international trade tool that will impact really the automotive industry and, and how the sourcing will come to play. Lastly, for those companies selling to the U.S. government, there's also the rules with respect to the Buy American Act that would need to be considered. Here, the Buy American Act requires the U.S. government to buy domestic end products, but there's certain exceptions that apply. And from an international trade perspective, one important exception is is the Trade Agreements Act, which serves as a waiver to the Buy American Act for eligible products from designated countries, and the latter of which is also determined under a substantial transformation test. And there's various other really issues that we could go into, but I think one of the main points here is that the navigating through these rules can be very complex, and the different benefits and constraints that can be gained from them have, for instance, origin rules that seem very similar maybe at the surface, but they re- really require a careful application to either maximize the tariff benefit, but also remain in in compliance with the rules. Tony, that's a lot of great information. So from your perspective, what should NEMA and the members of this council be on the lookout for in 2022? That's a great follow-up question, Steve, because there's a few different areas, I guess, to potentially look into. So let's start with the USMCA. I think, as Bridget was mentioning earlier, it's it's already in second year going into its third year from implementation. And what we're really seeing and expecting is increased enforcement by U.S. Customs on the compliance by the automotive industry. This may be in the form of audits or information requests that importers will start seeing in this coming year and going forward. At the same time, there's certain issues with the USMCA that are still being settled. There's the U.S. final regulations on the USMCA, which cover guidance on the labor value content certification requirements. There's also a trilateral dispute on the automotive rules of origin with respect to the super core interpretation that will 
need resolution through the USMCA dispute panel, which is also being enacted. Both of these, the regulations themselves and the dispute panel of resolution on the Supercore issue are items that are on the docket really for this year. We're expecting them to come out. But I think one of the big questions is how much clarity will the new regulations or the, the resolution from the dispute panel provide the supply chain when they're facing this increased enforcement from CBP and also solicitation requests from customers and, and things uh, that affect the industry from a USMCA perspective. With respect to Section 301, the USTR is considering reinstating exclusions from Section 301 tariffs with respect to 549 product types. So that would mean if those exclusions are reinstated, those products would not have to pay the Section 301 tariff upon importation to the U.S. The group of products includes electric motors, electric work trucks, PCBs, brake system sensors, junction boxes, and, and artificial graphite. We expect the decision on the reinstatements to come sometime this spring. I would actually think in the next few weeks from USTR initial position on it, but we'll see when it comes out. I would think sometime this spring. And as to whether it'll open up for other products on the 301, that's still a question. Hopefully it does, but it's it. USTR hasn't said one way or the other on it. With respect to the electric vehicle industry, there's also a new Section 232 investigation that is ongoing with respect to rare earth metals, which are considered the most efficient way to power electric vehicles. So that could potentially be a 10 or 25% tariff or potentially something different with respect to those type of goods. Last month, the USTR also raised concerns with the new digital service tax in Canada. And if that's not resolved by 2024, you could see similar countermeasures in the form of either 232 or Section 301 tariffs being imposed by the United States on products being imported from Canada. Now, we don't know what those products will be, but it could potentially impact the automotive industry, given the type of trade that's involved between Canada and the U.S. in the automotive supply chain. And then lastly, with regard to the Buy American Act, there was actually a final rule that was issued that increased the domestic content requirement for domestic end products from 55% to 60% starting on October 26th of this year. And this will eventually go up to 75% by 2029. As I mentioned, there's a waiver for acquisitions through the Trade Agreements Act. That's where the international trade aspect comes in. But in the coming months, there should be a list of critical components that will be issued by the OMB. And this could potentially impact how that waiver works and could make it more difficult for foreign suppliers to compete for U.S. government contracts in the industry. So this is really just a preview of what's on the horizon, but hopefully it illustrates you know some of the issues that the automotive industry supply chain will need to pay close attention to in the coming months. So that concludes our discussion today. By the way, the announcement from the White House on funding for transit agents, which we referred to earlier, It can be found on our website, Electric Mobility and Your Supply Chain. And on that site, we try to keep our readers posted on the latest developments from Washington. So I invite you all to visit that site and actually tell us what you think. I'd like to thank my colleague, Tony Rivera, and a very special thanks to Steve Griffith. You can find more about the council on NEMA's webpage. Steve, if you don't mind, I'd like to ask you back on our podcast in the weeks ahead. How can folks reach you? Email is one way, steve.griffiths at nema.org, but you can also find me on LinkedIn and connect with me there. And thank you to our listeners. For us at Aaron Fox Schiff, Smarten Your World is more than a tagline. It's how we translate the legal into strategic business advice.